You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Good. Man, I'm excited to jump in. Dean, thank you so much. Dean has an amazing voice. I love. If you actually play the Bible on the YouVersion Bible app, like, I think you give that guy a run for his money. So, man, so good. Well, I'm so excited to be back. Uh, we had a great vacation. I know, thank you for asking as you guys were coming in. Uh, my family, we went up to Maryland for a couple weeks and had a, a blast up there. But I'm excited to dive in. We're in the book of Ephesians. So, so what, what is this? Where are we? What are we doing here? Uh, and so we get to, like, peek in to a letter. I know we don't write letters often, maybe it's easier for us to say it's a text message or an email. But, but here's a guy. His name is Paul. And that's at least how we know him. He lived around the days of Jesus. So here's a guy who is living kind of alongside of this man that is doing miracles and people are putting their faith in him. Uh, which is weird because you're only supposed to put your faith in Yahweh, but yet they're putting their faith in this man named Jesus, and he's doing these things, and people are now calling him the Messiah, and that for them back then kind of felt icky because no one says that about anybody other than Yahweh. And, and so this man, his actual, his original name, like birth name was Saul, um, started trying to stop the spread of people talking about this man Jesus as the Messiah. So he's going around and he's trying to, like when someone would say, hey, you know this guy, Jesus, yeah, he's the Messiah. He would try to lock them up, put them in prison, silence them. But then this man named Saul has an encounter with this person, Jesus. After that person, Jesus, was murdered. Think about you having an interaction with someone that you know and saw was dead. And now you have a face-to-face interaction with this person, and he is very much alive. Saying, why are you stopping people from believing in me as the Messiah? You thought I was in a tomb. You thought I was buried. You thought I was dead. But guess what? (laughs) Hello, I'm alive. God transforms him, changes him, gives him a new name, Paul. Now instead of Paul trying to stop the spread of people talking about Jesus as the Messiah, now he's actually advocating for it. He's actually going around and the gospel, the good news, that's what that word means, of Jesus is spreading like wildfire. He's going into all sorts of places, places that other people couldn't go because he was this religious, prestigious leader. I mean, he was a good leader and he he would go into these places and he would just talk about this person, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross and then God, Yahweh, gave him life again because he actually was God wrapped in flesh. And now he's sitting in a prison because of that, the thing that he was locking up people for, now he's actually locked up for, <laughs> sitting in a prison, in chains, and like our prisons today are pretty cushy compared to what Paul was experiencing. Like it would have been nasty 
and, and bad and dirt. Like, it would have been gross. And he's writing a letter to a church that had formed in Ephesus. A letter that was going to get circulated throughout all of the churches in Ephesus and beyond. A letter that actually you and I get to peek into today. I find that pretty cool. I don't know about you. That we get to actually like lay eyes on something that was found in the real world. Like, th- like this letter was found and then year after year people transcribed it and translated it and now we get to like put our eyes on it. And this summer we've been walking through a section of this letter that's talking to people who believe in this Savior. So if you're here today and you don't believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you something. There is a God who loves you Deeply, deeply loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him, just like he wanted Paul to know him. He wants to reveal himself to you and say, hey, I died for you. And this section of scripture that we're going to be pulling out today is in context of this bigger letter where Paul is trying to explain to this church that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're not adding any works into this. You can't, like, religiosity coming to church, sitting in a seat, putting stuff in a basket like Miguel was saying, like that doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And so now we get to, to open this up and like peer into this. And, and we're kind of going in and pulling out a little nugget out of this. So I want us to know it in light of like the entirety of what we're talking about. And in this section, it all kind of culminates in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. So it's actually a really bad chapter break. So we added, the, the people who were translating added verses and chapters, right? So all the, the words are God's word, um, but then we start, like, the page numbers are not spirit-inspired, right? They change depending on the, tr- the translation, right? So the verses, not, this is a bad chapter break um, that we added in there because all of 17, uh, 417 all the way to 432 kind of culminates and is wrapped up in 5, 1, and 2. So let me read that for us, because I want us to, to know kind of how we're, we're jumping in here this morning. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, so how do I know that this is a bad chapter break? Because of that word, therefore. What is it there for? <laughs> All right, so you look back. You look back at what was just said. So, therefore... All of these things be imitators of God as beloved children. That's how we know that this part is written to those that are are people who profess faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Because he's calling them beloved. Those loved by God. And what do we do? Those loved by God. Those that are beloved. Those that have already been saved. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he's writing this to the beloved. And he's saying, walk in love because you have been loved. Don't walk in love so that God will love you. It's saying, God loves you. So walk in that love. Live this out 
as a fragrant offering, as worship to God. So how do we walk in this love? We see that in the verses that came before the therefore. Let's look at verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22. Put off your old self. This is the self that was before you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, before you were the beloved, before you were a child of God, you were an enemy of God. So put off that old self. Put off that old identity, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, verse 24. And put on the new self that God has given you created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So, he's talking about a transformation that happens, a new identity that takes place when you go from death to life. Christ didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So at one point, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians 2. And now you are alive. You are alive. Beloved, you are a child. So put off that old self and put on this new self. So over the last four weeks, we've been looking at what does it look like to walk in this love? How do we walk in this love? What does this look like? And this is, this is what we saw over the last week. Tim, Mark, Ben did phenomenal jobs talking about these and breaking down these ways that we can walk in love. Don't lie. Sounds like childhood 101, right? Don't lie. But instead, and he doesn't just leave us at put off the old self, don't lie, but he gives us the new self. Put on truth. Don't lie, but speak truth. Hey, don't dwell in anger, but pursue peace. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. So Paul's saying, this is what it looks like to walk in love. Sounds like the type of community I want to be a part of. Like a, a, a community of encouragement, a community that doesn't lie, a community that's pursuing peace, a community that's, that's forgiving one another when they mess up. Like that's what the church is supposed to be. That's who we, as the people of God, are supposed to be. And Paul's reminding us that what God tells us to put on is going to bring life. So in the moments where you feel like, yeah, but I really need to tell this lie just to protect that other person. No, 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 no. God is saying lies bring death. Truth brings life. Even though somehow you've rationalized in your mind, it's the other way around. What else? The things that we are to put off will only bring us death. When we don't forgive and hold on to bitterness and try to seek our own justice, it will only bring death to our souls and the people around us. So he's saying, this is how we walk in love. And so now we're actually going to look at just verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 28. And we're, we're kind of jumping back a little bit. I, I had the guys bypass this because I, I felt like we're going to be talking about generosity. And that's something that, that is, is a hard topic to, to approach when you're coming into a church setting. And so, so I wanted to, to break this down. But we have to understand this. Is that all of these things are heart issues. These are not action issues. These are heart issues. 
And God is after our heart. And so when we start speaking about generosity, we're not just talking about something about money, but we're actually talking about our heart in these things and in all things. So let's look at Ephesians 4, 28. And this is where we're going to be today. This is all we're going to be talking about. Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So how do we walk in love? Here's the main idea for today. Three parts, one main idea. Don't steal. Work hard. Share generously. Don't steal. Work hard. Share generously. Sound good? If you're note-takers, I mean, I just teed it up for you. Here we go. Work hard. Don't steal. Share generously. All right, here we go. Let's start with don't steal. Let the thief no longer steal. The word thief, klepton. The word steal, klepeto. Does this sound like anything you know of? A klepto, right? That's the, the language that we would use in today's culture for, for a thief. Someone that's, that's continually stealing over and over again. That's a, you would call them a klepto. Um, to take away by stealth. Now, personally, I can relate to this because in college, here's some uh, public confession, I was a klepto. So I don't know where it came from, why it came from. I wasn't in need. I, I wasn't like really like poor and I couldn't eat. Like one day I went to Walmart for my, my very, my mom is sitting in the front row. She didn't even know this about me. So you're, you're finding this out when she's finding this out, all right? So um, I, I went to Walmart and um, I had ordered what is called a photograph. Um, you take a picture, and then you brought something called film to there, and then they gave you like a printed version of that film. Um, and I had it at the bottom of the, the, the cart and all my groceries, and I was loading things up onto the belt, and then uh, they checked me out. They were the people. that checked, Like there wasn't the thing that you scan yourself. Like they checked me out, and I got out, and as I'm walking out of the front doors, I realized that that photograph, container thing, it's really slim and thin, had fallen kind of in a crack and was just kind of sitting there and I didn't put it up on the belt. And I thought, sweet. Like, free photographs. Like, I just saved myself five bucks. And then all of a sudden, that welled up inside of me something that the, whatever it was, which was not good, only death, but caused me to every time I went back to Walmart to think, if I just, like, like where their line of sight is and where the belt is and where my cart is, if I just put things in the right place, they won't see things that I leave in my cart and then I'll get away with five, ten dollars. It's Walmart. They deserve it. I started justifying my sin. So I can relate to this because I was a klepto, but I think it's very easy to be sitting here and going, like, this is not applicable to me. I'm not a thief, like I, I don't steal things, I never stole things, and, and to easily just tune out right now and be like, like I'm good, right, I'm good. But you might not have stolen something, but all of us lack generosity. All of us lack generosity in different areas of our lives. And the absence of generosity 
is thievery. And I know you're being like, all right, pastor, like you're, you're going a little extreme here just to prove a point. No, I, I want us to look at some of the other things in Scripture that, that Jesus is pointing to, um, to, to to tell us that this is a heart issue, not an action thing. So Romans 3.10, no one is righteous. So if you're sitting here today and you're going, this doesn't apply to me, I'm good, you have to understand, no one, no one, no one, the Greek of that, no one is righteous. I can say it in British too, no one is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. That word all there means all. You are included in that. In Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking to a group of people. And he says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart. If you're watching the new Thor movie and look at Chris Hemsworth. Right? And with, with, with lustful eyes, lustful intent. You've committed adultery. That's huge. He's talking about a heart issue that's going on inside of us. Things that we are coveting, that that we're making idols in their lives, things that we want. We do this with so many things. And Jesus goes to the extreme and says, if you look uh, to a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery, so gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. Do the extreme thing so that you will not receive death, but you will receive life. So, so when I say that the absence of generosity is thievery, is because what brings us life is generosity, which will bring us death is thievery. So let's look over the last four weeks. Have you lied? Have you lied over the last four weeks? Then you've stolen truth. Have you, were you unjustly angry? Then you stole peace. Withheld forgiveness. You stole the ability to bring life through forgiveness. Maybe it's something really, really small and you've justified that it's insignificant. Anybody take a paper clip from the office and it's not your office? A piece of paper, tape for personal gain? Maybe, maybe you're on this diet and you've decided you want accountability so you posted this diet on Instagram or Facebook and now you're taking screenshots and pictures of your meals and posting them, right? So that people know you're eating uh, egg whites and avocado for breakfast and you're like, hold me accountable community, right? And you know people are looking because you got those three likes, right? And so you're, you're, you're taking these pictures of your food and you're posting it up because you're on a diet, and then you're in the pantry, and there are those double-stuffed Oreos. The Instagram crowd, you're not live, right? The Instagram crowd is not around. And you, you by stealth, took something. That's a double-stuffed Oreo, so now you're a double thief. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, have stolen something. And it's not just an action, it's a heart issue. So he says, let the one who takes away sneakily what is not theirs no longer steal. And then he says, so what do you put on? Work hard. Let's look at verse 28 again. Let him labor doing honest work 
with his own hands. So here's some of the Greek in here. And again, I just want to clarify, we go to the Greek because that's what this original letter was written in. So we want to see what these words mean in a deeper way. Labor. To labor, work, until you're worn out, depleted, exhausted. We don't know this type of work in America. <laughs> we may be, may be mentally exhausted, but we don't work hard often. To labor, worn out, depleted, exhausted. Honest means what is good, what originates from God and is empowered by God in your life through faith. The word work, it means work. I don't have to go too deep in that one. With our hands. Now properly this is hand, but figuratively it's the instrument a person uses to accomplish their purpose, their intention, their plan. So if you have a desk job, you're not, you're, you're not uh, exempt from this. Because the thing that you may use is your, your mind or your fingers. But for all of us, work hard for God's good purpose. I'll say that again. Work hard for God's good purpose. See, we exhaust ourselves for the American dream not to fulfill God's purpose and will. I'll say that again. We exhaust ourselves to accomplish the American dream not to fulfill God's purpose and will. In our American culture, we cower at the idea of working hard when it has anything to do with the gospel. And what we begin to do when we say in the church, work hard, or when we begin to read a book that says, hey, we need to work hard, all of a sudden we, we yell legalism. Oh no, it's legalistic. You're adding works to... No, 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 no. We're not, we're not doing that here. We're not saying that those works save you. We're saying this is an overflow. That's why we walk in love because we have been loved. And I love what Kent Hughes says about this. He's a pastor and author. He says, this is the difference between uh, us yelling legalism when we yell, when we say, work hard. The difference is one of motivation. Legalism is self-centered. Discipline is God-centered. The legalistic heart says, I will do this thing to gain merit with God. The disciplined heart says, I will do this thing because I love God. The motivation is different. So we work hard as unto the Lord. We work hard because God has given us this life so that we can bring glory to his name for his will and his good purpose. But humanity is by nature lazy. We would rather play than work. We'd rather watch Netflix than pour our lives and our hearts into our kids we clock in for an eight-hour day, yet only work hard for four. But Colossians 3.23 is another letter that Paul was writing to a different church. He says, work with all of your heart as unto the Lord. So why do we work hard? Why should we work hard? Well, it says this. Work hard for God's glory so that you can share generously. So that you can share Generously. That's why we are to work hard, so that we can share generously with others. Look at verse 28 again. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Beloved church, what would it look like if we shared generously with our time, with our gifts and our talents, with our abilities, with our treasures, with our resources? What would it look like in our community if a group of people gave their lives to working hard just so that we could share generously? Not only with one another, but with the world around us. What kind of a statement or an impact would that make to our community for the name of Jesus Christ? If we work hard at studying God's word, if we worked hard at that, if we made it a discipline, not legalistic, but if we actually worked hard at at opening up his word and setting time aside so that we could read his word, I know that sounds extreme, but setting time aside to read this and study this, if we worked hard at that, don't you think we would have something to share with the people around us from God's word? Think, like, you're just staring at me. Like, if you studied this, like, often Christians don't share about the gospel and the good news of Jesus and all those things because they say, I don't know enough. I, 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 I don't feel like I'm educated enough. I promise if you worked hard at reading God's word, you would have something to share. I was sitting this morning uh, thinking about prayer and I was, I was trying to go before the Lord and the passage that I, I'm in, I'm in the book of Mark personally for my own time with the Lord um, and it said Jesus left early in the morning to get time with his father. And it just hit me because I'm like, ah, I don't often just like wake up early to get away for time with my father, God, so that I can pour my life into my kids. But Jesus knew how much he had to pour out so he spent even more time connecting with his father. And I thought, man, if I just worked hard at prayer, how much more I would have to give to my kids and my wife and my mom and the people around me. If I worked hard at knowing the gospel, if I worked hard at my marriage, how that would impact marriages on our street, in our neighborhood, in our kids' wreck things that they do every night of the week. If we worked hard at cultivating intimacy and relationship in our marriages, in our parenting, we weren't continually, continuously yelling at our kids all the time because they're frustrating us, but we were shepherding them and guiding them and leading them to God's throne of grace with confidence in the moments where they are very, very inconvenient. If we worked hard at, at living simply and being content with God has given us and not pursuing that next step, that next career thing, that next house, that next car, that next thing. I love what Richard Foster says. He says, can we live simply so that others can simply live? John Piper says, we should value our riches in Christ so highly that we would simply love to give. I mean, wouldn't that empower us if we really worked hard at those things? Wouldn't that empower us to share with the poor, serve the abandoned, 
the neglected, the broken, the hurting, if we worked hard not just to get that next thing, but we worked hard so that we could share generously in all areas of our life, in every, and, and listen, if that sounds heavy, if, you, if it sounds like I'm throwing like this huge like backpack full of stuff to like put on and like say, all right, I gotta carry this now, I gotta work hard, then we're missing the gospel. Because God has said that he has died to give you life and life to the full and he has placed the Holy Spirit inside of you so that that Holy Spirit can renew and transform that old self and put on this new self. So this isn't the type of thing that we want to like all of a sudden say to you, oh, if you're not working hard, you're not doing your part. No, no, no. God is inviting you. We have such a good God who doesn't heap these things on us but actually invites us and says, hey, there will be blessing. You will experience more life and more peace and more joy if you don't steal, if you work hard, and if you share generously. Yeah, but if I do that, then I've got to do this, is it? He's saying, test me in these things, what Miguel read. And I will open up the floodgates. Those floodgates are his love and his joy and his peace that he will flood on us when we are living out in obedience. So if you're sitting here and you're like, man, like, I am incapable of doing this. Good, you are. Thanks for coming. I am. I can't do this. And that's why God's given us the Holy Spirit. So we have a God that says, you will experience more life and peace and hope and joy if you do these things and if you work hard. Oh, and by the way, I know you can't do it, so I'm gonna give you my spirit that dwells inside of you. But there are some conscious things that we have to do. What we call that is human responsibility, where we have to be intentional with opening up the word and reading it Setting some aside for prayer. Looking at our finances and, and saying, hey, what are some areas that we're overspending that maybe we can cut? What about um, the time that we spend as a family? Maybe we, we take one less mini trip this year and, and spend that time serving our community somehow, in some way. Maybe we go to to a missions trip and there are tons of opportunities through Ride Nature, Haiti Bible Mission that we can, we can go and serve and, and not only in, in the United States but also outside the United States. If we were a people that didn't steal the blessings of God but actually worked hard and shared generously. Now, there is a financial side of this. I didn't really talk about that much today, Right? Talking about generosity, we're, we're talking about all of life, the heart issue. This is, a, this is a heart transformation thing. This is an inward thing. Even when God is speaking about finances in Scripture, he's continually bringing up the heart and the identity of a heart that shares generously, not out of compulsion, because I have to, but a heart that wants to share because we've been blessed with so much. But it does include finances. And so if you're here today and you like come to church and you're like, oh, they're always talking about money. Like, here's what I want you. We're not after your wallets. We already took our offering. But God is after your heart. 
And generosity doesn't come natural to me. So I'm not sitting up here going like, I got this down pat. Like, in all areas. You can ask my wife. I'm a very selfish person. Like, generosity doesn't come natural. These are things that the Spirit needs to cultivate in us. But I thought, as your pastor, I want to um, give you kind of a lightning round on specifically generosity because I think it's important because this is talking about finances. So here's like a quick pastoral thoughts, uh, a lightning round, if you will, um, for don't steal, work hard, share generously. Ready? Buckle up. Okay. God does not love you more because you give more than someone else. Need you to know that. $5 is not more than $10 if $5 is from your heart. And there's sacrifice in that. Jesus is in the temple with all of these people that are bringing these huge sums of money and throwing them in the collection plate. And then this old, poor woman comes. She drops these two, what seems like insignificant coins. For us, they would kind of be like pennies. And he says, she has given more than everybody else. It's not a matter of the what. It's the heart that God's after. You're giving is not conditional upon your blessing. We play this game. God, if you give me blank, then I'll give you... You ever play that game? You're like driving down 75 and you see the Powerball uh, sign that's up there? All right, God, I'm just going to play this once. And if you let me win... I will give you 50%. And then as you're driving, you're starting to dream, right? You're dreaming about, you know, the new car you're going to buy and the new house. And you're like, well, 50% is kind of excessive, God. That's a lot of money. I could do a lot of good with that. I'll give you 30%, God. All right, all right, 20, double tithe. And then by the end of your dreaming, you're like, well, all right, I'll definitely give that 10%. Stop playing that game. Stop playing this conditional. God, if you give me that next sale, if you, if you get this deal for me, then I will. If I could just get past this, God, then I'll serve. If I can just do this, then I'll do this for you, God. Stop playing that game with God. God says serve, so serve. God says give, so give. God says live in biblical community, so live in biblical community. Let's stop making excuses. So, your giving is not conditional upon your blessing. If you could give your way into heaven, Jesus' work on the cross would be irrelevant. I went to a church, uh, it was in Arizona somewhere, and they had invited people to give up on stage because they were doing this huge new building campaign. People were coming up with these checks and the pastor was announcing the amount and people were cheering and clapping for them as if that was their, like they were walking off stage as if I'm in. I got in. Yes, I'm in heaven now. If you could give your way into heaven, Jesus' work on the cross would be irrelevant. If you could impress God with your giving, then there's no reason for grace and mercy. But generosity goes beyond money. It's a heart posture. God is after your heart. And the last thing is my human ability to be generous is impossible. That is why God has given us the Holy Spirit. 
Generosity flows from a good, good father who has unconditionally poured out his love through his son, Jesus. There is a God who's created the universe, who knows your name. And he says, Liam. And he says, Caleb. He says, Savannah. And he wants you and loves you and knows you. Don't steal. Work hard. Share generously. God is generous. And I'm going to read this over us. The band can come back on up. And I want to read this over us as a prayer. This is a, a section of scripture from Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Um, I did change some of the um, language in it to make it a prayer. Um, but I'm praying this scripture over us today because we have a good, good God who shares generously with us. And my hope is that that would be the foundation of how we give generously in and through our lives. So would you bow your heads with me? I'm go before the Lord together. This is God speaking to his people. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come take your choice of wine or milk. It is all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to God and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to God with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. God has made an everlasting covenant with you. He will give you all the unfailing love he has promised to his son David.